Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg and Kim Kardashian Stan. Connie is going to tell us about Amy Carnivale. Yes. I have heard two different pronunciations of her name, the way you pronounced it, Carnivale, which is what I would believe, and then Carnivale, but I'm going with Carnivale. Where's there is a stat? Boston. That's why I said that. Like Boston. 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 And Ooh. I will go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> As you all know, we are a Zencaster sponsored podcast. We will, Meg will talk about it in a little bit and give you some more details on how you can start your own podcast. But full disclosure, it was not my plan to do another case like this. Um, I was scrolling on Facebook and one of the quickest ways for me to get off track in the things that I need to be doing is to click on one of those videos that are just scenes from other movies. Because Yes, I do that too. Because I'll just sit and scroll and watch like 20 minute clips from movies where I'm like, damn, I need to watch that movie again. And it yeah, just- and then you never go and watch the movie. But like, that is 100%. I get um on like... Instagram or whatever, just like clips of shows. I'm like, mm-hmm. 30 second clip of a show. I'm like, oh, another, another. Like, I don't even watch another one, please. Another <laughs> one. So that's what happened. I, a couple weeks ago, I was watching a clip and, or I was watching those movies and a clip from an old Lifetime movie came up and it was a scene from the movie no one would tell. And if you are not a Lifetime girl like I am, you're probably like, this doesn't mean anything to me. But it was a movie that had Candace, uh, your DJ from uh, Full House, and America's son, Kevin Arnold from The Wonder Years, you know, Fred Savage. So watching this clip unlocked this memory from me of getting my tonsils out in high school, and I watched this movie on Lifetime. I'm going to tell you, I know exactly what clip you're talking about, because I did this exact same rabbit hole like two months ago. Yes, yes. That's so weird. As soon as you said the names, I was like, this is the one I was just reading about like not that long ago. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So I remember watching it and thinking like, man, I can't believe these two people are in a movie like this. And it's weird how my 15-year-old self, that's what I picked out from the movie versus like the important takeaways, like the idea of a possessive boyfriend that could turn fatal. It wasn't the red flag warning for me at the time. The lessons we should have been learning instead of, I was huh, like, it's weird well, that they're in this. <laughs> DJ, what are you doing? <laughs> so knowing that most Lifetime films are actually based on real cases, I did a quick goog and fell down this rabbit hole of Amy. Your weekly trigger warnings are domestic violence, murder, crimes against children, because Amy was only 14. Um, And I'm sorry, after this, I will lay off cases like this. I actually, like Meg did before, I had another case prepped and then I just can't help it. I can't help it. Like the brain goes where the brain goes. (laughs) The brain wants what it wants. And I, you guys all know, I'm such an advocate for like domestic violence awareness. And I do believe that the more we talk about these red flags and the more we bring cases like this to the light, the more that young girls and guys will be able to recognize some of the warning signs and either start to leave situations that they are in or they will be able to like prevent relationships from getting like 
to the point that we see too far often in domestic violence cases. So the movie No One Would Tell is based on the murder of Amy Carnavale at the hands of her boyfriend, Jamie Fuller. Of course, Lifetime made some dramatic changes. You know, in the story, Stacy had been in love with Bobby Tennyson for a couple of years. He's the star of the wrestling team, the most popular guy in school with a dark, abusive secret, which is a stark change from the real life Jamie Fuller because he was not a popular guy. They portrayed Stacy as a a shy, like kind of like on the outside of things. When in reality, Amy herself was very popular, very outgoing. So let's get to it. In 1992, Beverly, Massachusetts had a population of around 39,000. It used to be a blue collar city, but it experienced an economic boom where it wasn't uncommon to see a line of Mercedes dropping kids off for the school pickup. Even though it is larger, it was and even still is considered a safe place to live. On a scale of 1 to 100 for violent crimes, according to bestplaces.net, Beverly is only rated like an 11.3, which is like half the crime rate of the rest of the United States. The median household income is almost $80,000 a year, which again is significantly higher than the national average, which I had another moment recently because i did not realize the average median household income was only like 50 grand which oh, was really? mind-blowing yeah it was kind of mind-blowing to me i think we just see so much you know like media and stuff and like it looks like everyone has a jillion dollars yeah like except for us except for us yeah. i'm the only one without a jillion dollars where are you guys getting your jillions send them our way. <laughs> and This has been a trend even in the 90s. This was a nice place to raise a family. The majority of the residents didn't come from what we would consider like low-income housing. That's not what this town was about. 16-year-old Jamie Fuller had been dating his 14-year-old girlfriend for about two years in August of 1991. He was set to enter his sophomore year at Beverly High School. Like I said before, Jamie wasn't a popular wrestling team kid, like the kid who the movie was based on. He was considered a troubled kid. He had a he had violent outbursts. He was actually on probation for assault with a dangerous weapon at the time, like at this time. Yeah. Again, yeah. two. It didn't say. I'm assuming because they were uh, juveniles. Oh, yeah. Lame. I want to know, but I understand. Yes. He had a previous girlfriend who complained of physical abuse against her. She had said that he had slapped her on a couple of occasions. Yeah. And how old is he? Like 16? 16. And he had been dating Amy since he was like 14. So like this is started pretty early on. Jamie lived with his mom. His parents had divorced many years prior and his dad didn't live in the area. Um, There wasn't a lot to find regarding the situations with his parents. Uh, They didn't even bring up anything about it until the trial, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, It just mentioned that his dad wasn't around. So I'm not positive on the home situation other than what a defense attorney is going to say, which you know how that goes. Fuller was very fond of weightlifting and it led a lot of people to believe that he used steroids. And then that is what contributed to his aggressive behavior. And his lawyer would later say that he started using steroids at the age of 14. 
Oh, he really was using them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, how did he get them? I don't know. I don't know how, how people buy steroids. That's something that still kind of like amazes me. I don't know how you get them. If you do steroids, let us know. If you use steroids, yeah. Just trying to get jacked. His principal at the middle school said that he went through a period of aggressive behavior and it, quote, went beyond the normal scope of adolescent behavior, which I feel like is an understatement. Okay, you're getting roid rage of 14 you're already like in an intense human being when you're 14 years old i can't imagine like amping that up to 11 that's crazy yeah 14 year old amy carnavale's description couldn't be more polar opposite she was popular she was outgoing friendly she had dreams of becoming a hairdresser she considered herself to have a natural ability to like be just really good at cutting hair She was a cheerleader. She enjoyed playing golf with her dad at the country club and would play a couple of times a week. Her dad said that every time they would talk to people at the country club and as they like pulled off on the golf cart, they would say the same thing like, oh, what a doll. She's so great. Her principal described her as a terrific kid, a mecca of social activity. Her dad, Michael, was a teacher at a different high school. Her parents had divorced about eight years prior to this. Her mom, Cynthia Gill, had remarried a man named Robert. Her, her mom, and her brother, Chris, had moved about 10 minutes away to Danvers. But in August of 1991, Amy and her mother had moved back to Beverly, and they were staying with her friends, like her mom's friends, as her mom and stepdad had separated. Not a lot of details were given about that, but I'm assuming the turmoil kind of only brought Amy and JB closer together. Um... Amy was excited to start her freshman year that fall. Like, she wasn't even in high school. She had just graduated eighth grade. She had tried out for the high school cheerleading squad. She had been selected to the JV squad. And like I said, Amy and Fuller had been dating for almost two years. And I know the question that everyone is going to ask and the question that everybody always asks. How does someone like Amy end up with someone like Fuller? And the answer is simple. For people like Fuller... It's not like they get into a relationship and immediately start being abusive. It starts small. They're making comments about what you're doing, and then they get mad about who you're hanging out with, and they isolate you from all of your friends. They make it where the only real person that you have is yourself. And in August of 1991, Amy was staying with one of her friends, Diane Wager, while her and her mom waited for their rental house to be ready. They were set to move on September 5th, 1991. Over the course of their relationship, friends would say that it wasn't uncommon to see Fuller be physically aggressive with Amy. He would start by telling her what she could and couldn't do. He was very jealous and possessive. He treated Amy like she was his property. But as soon as he would overstep, he would do what is called the honeymoon period of abuse where, you know, they're showering you with compliments or telling you how sorry they are. By August of 1991, things were definitely rocky between Amy and Fuller, to say the least. Like I said, friends witnessed him grabbing her arm. One friend saw her get slapped. When they would argue, he would stand in front of her so that she couldn't leave. And this is just what he was doing in front of people. I always say that if these are the types of things that people are comfortable enough doing with people around, What are they doing behind closed doors? Exactly. And honestly, that just goes to show how comfortable he was with the physical abuse. Because 
He was willing to do it in front of their friends. And then he would brag about it. It wasn't something that he was like trying to hide. He would laugh about it and joke with his friends and not just joke about her being his property, joke about how he was going to kill her someday and how he was over her shit. Most of his friends would later testify that he said on multiple occasions, he told them and Amy that he was going to kill her. But none of his friends took him seriously because honestly, they're teenagers. And the idea that this douchebag is actually going to kill his girlfriend wasn't even on their radar. Friends even described their... um. Friends even described their tumultuous relationship as intense and passionate, albeit a little yeah. unhealthy. And okay, I have to say this. I have to. And this isn't just like a PSA for teenage boys. This is a PSA for girls as well, because no matter what the movies show, no matter what the books show relationship where one person is so possessive and obsessed that the other person, you know, with the other person that leads to like verbal or physical violence, that's not passion. That's like, that's toxic like that's a toxic Toxicity. relationship yeah. yes I, and i think that the entertainment industry has really capitalized as a whole on selling this idea that you have to have all of this drama and uncertainty and these great love stories i thought the same thing i thought that as mad as like my ex would get at me it was like his way that he showed me he loved me like how much he cared but do you know what you should feel when you are in a good healthy relationship peace like <laughs> peace not not fear no, uh, and then, I don't know. What are they going to do because I wore something or I did something? And that's not to say that a couple isn't going to argue because we all do. We all have those moments where like literally the sound of them breathing makes you want to jump off a cliff. <laughs> but ex especially for young kids, a relationship should not be all of this drama. And if you are a friend of a guy or girl and you are seeing that they are becoming more and more possessive, abusive maybe you're witnessing this kind of abuse happening it is your responsibility as a friend to speak up and be like hey this shit's not cool because honestly the person who is on the receiving of the end of the of the abuse isn't going to listen to any of their friends and honestly so. we hear all the time about bullying you know like mm -hmm. see something say something if you see someone being bullied and it's the same thing it's yeah. not none of your business just because it's not your relationship like if something looks like that you, you some do something like yeah tell your mom i don't care especially in situations with kids where they come from a background where maybe their parents fall or there's like all this drama and there is a lot to okay there's a lot to unpack here and by no means am i blaming like fuller's friends for this happening because they are all kids legitimate babies who shouldn't have had these problems to worry about yeah yeah this is that was just a psa like hey yeah. Yes, they. Uh, but the sad fact of the matter is girls and young women between the ages of 16 and 24 experience intimate partner violence at nearly the triple at triple the national average. And That's what's good. crazy sad. Yeah. What's crazy to this is the year prior, um, the schools in the area where Amy went, the Women's Crisis Center came in and they gave a skit on abuse and like how to recognize signs of abuse. And when the boyfriend yelled at the girlfriend and slapped her. The audience cheered. Ew, what? Yeah, which is the exact opposite response that one would want. How awful do you think those people giving that skit felt? Like they came in to like educate these, I mean, teenagers. I teenagers, yeah, but still like. But you think like even now, right now, I remember when Fifty Shades of Grey came out. 
And I used to think that the people who were writing all these like op-eds and stuff about him, like how awful like the books were, I was like, man, they're just squares. Like this is, you're trying to kink shame. It's like not that big of a deal. And then like now looking back and like reading, I'm like, okay, Christian would like get mad up to the point he would lose his shit and do crazy things. And his justification was like, I just love you so much. I don't know what I would do without you. And if my daughter were in a relationship like that, I'd be like, run. Red flag. Red flag. Red flag. Yeah, for sure. So I think you can get the idea that like this wasn't a great relationship, even in the slightest. Royd Rage or not, Jamie Fuller was just a shitty guy. Royd Rage or not. On August 22nd, 1991, Amy took a trip to the beach near Gloucester. Gloucester? If you, I'm going to say that wrong and you guys are going to message us, I know. So she went to the beach with a few friends. There were two boys and two girls with her. Now, in the previous several months leading up to this day, Amy and Fuller were on again and off again, which I think is the only normal thing that I've read about their relationship because that's how high school relationships are. Yes. They both dated other people, but Fuller would lose it when he would hear anything about Amy being around anyone else. So it was like he could see other people, but she couldn't. Mm -hmm. And this incident was no different. Now I'm going to give you a free few minutes to skip ahead because if you're familiar with this case, you know the details are pretty gnarly. Um, so just giving you that. And now we continue. Um, when Fuller found out that she had taken this trip, this day trip to the beach, that was it for him. He reportedly told his friends, I'm getting sick of this. I swear I'm going to kill her. This shit's got to stop. She won't be around to go out with anyone anymore. I'm going to fucking kill her. His friends again would later testify that they didn't believe that he was actually going to kill her. They thought that he was just talking because that's the type of relationship the two of them had. On August 23rd, 1991, Fuller's mom would later testify that he spent the morning drinking whiskey. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more when we go into the details of the trial. But she said that he spent the morning drinking. Fuller called Amy the entire day trying to get her to come see him. He finally convinced her to come over. And I read in a couple of newspaper articles that he had asked her to cut his hair because that was something she was like really passionate about. And that's how the guys that he used to get her to come over. But I'm not 100% sure if that's accurate. Um, I do know that once she got to his house, Amy Fuller and a couple of Fuller's friends walked through a field where he further led Amy into the woods near the middle school where she had just graduated from. Prior to Amy arriving, Fuller had told his friends that were at his house that he was going to kill Amy and even invited them to come along. His friend Mark Demule responded with, you don't have the balls to do it. And he just replied, you'll see, which don't no. encourage it. Like, No, that's, don't encourage it. Don't even let, I don't know. I understand because they are kids. And they're like, kids. They say crazy, dumb things. So if your friend says something like that, I understand why they probably didn't believe it. But I would hope the further away we get from this situation that, you know, kids would be like, shut up. That's not funny. Exactly. So Fuller leads Amy into the woods. And according to the trial testimony, once he led her there, um, they got a little bit deeper into the woods. He covered her mouth told her he loved her, and then stabbed her in the stomach. He said that he then went behind her and pushed the knife in deeper. He could feel the tip of the knife bend in her abdomen. That's how hard he was stabbing her. 
Amy tried her hardest to make a run for it, and she fought like hell. She bit his hand and took off running, but he grabbed her by her hair and dragged her back. Holding her by the hair, he slit Amy's throat. All in all, he stabbed her about 10 times. And in one of the most sad sentences that I have ever read, and I think will legitimately haunt me forever, as she fell to the ground, she repeated, I love you, Jamie. I love you, Jamie. But this monster wasn't finished. He said that the sound of her gurgling on her own blood as she was dying, because that's what was happening, it pissed him off. So he stomped on her until she succumbed to her injuries. His friends, Mark DeMule, Michael Mallet, which we'll read about, we'll hear about even in a little bit. They heard her screams coming from the woods. None of them came to see what was going on. He walked back to his house, blood stains all over his clothes, and he bragged to his friends. He showed them the tip of the knife that bent. They said that he had a smirk on his face when he emerged from the woods and said, it's done. That bitch shouldn't have messed with me. Him and his two friends went to another one of their friend's house where Jamie washed the blood off of himself. He drank red Kool-Aid, which he said was right for the occasion. He told his friends that if they told anyone, they would be next. And I'm assuming at this point, they're actually taking him seriously about the shit that he does. He even took his friend Michael Mallet to the scene to show him Amy's body. Then he enlisted the help of his friends. Him and his friends gathered two trash bags, two cinder blocks, and lobster line, which is like a fishing type, uh, like a rope that wouldn't fray in the water. Then him and Michael Mallet wrapped Amy in two trash bags and tied the cinder blocks to her body and threw her into shoe pond. As her body sank to the bottom of the pond, Fuller coldly said, it sucks to be you, Amy. This guy's like the worst. Yeah, that's so sad. When the police started looking for her because she was immediately reported missing, even when the police first approached it as a runaway situation, her dad and stepmom were both like, no, 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 no. Her purse and everything's here. She didn't have any money. She didn't go anywhere. Like something has happened. All of these kids were asked by investigators if they knew where Amy was, and all of them denied having seen her at any point leading up to her disappearance. There were missing persons posters hung all over the place. There were search parties formed. Everyone was looking for Amy. Five days after Amy Carnavale was brutally murdered, Michael Mele, Fuller's 19-year-old friend who was responsible for helping him dispose of Amy's body, went to the police and led them to where they could find her body. And when her body was recovered, a shockwave radiated through that town. They had it. I guess um, two years prior to Amy's murder, they had experienced there was a girl, I think she was 16, who was shot by her mom. But that was like the first, like they were two crimes close together, but they were, that's still like a rarity in the area. Fuller was arrested that same day where officers said that he almost had a smug smirk when he was taken away. He was initially arrested on the charge of delinquency which is a prerequisite of juveniles in Massachusetts. He pled not guilty to the charge of delinquency by reason of first-degree murder, uh, that Michael Mallet was also charged with being an accessory after the fact, and he was actually sentenced to two years in prison as a result of a plea deal. Fuller initially denied any involvement when he was first questioned, and he actually blamed his friends for her death at first. No, no, I don't think so, little turd. 
He was ordered to undergo 30 days of psychiatric evaluation at a State Department of Youth Services. He was charged as an adult in her murder, which I 100% agree with because of how cold and calculated he was. Because this wasn't a one-off. If he hadn't killed Amy, he would have killed his next girlfriend. And Uh, Yeah, that dude was going to snap eventually. Even when his friends asked him why he killed Amy, he told them that he didn't want her, but he didn't want anyone else to have her either. He just wanted to control Amy, and when he felt like he couldn't anymore, he opted for the most extreme and disgusting route that he could take. In the seven-day trial, the defense relied heavily on the steroid abuse as reasoning for his aggression and actions. They said that not even two years prior, he was a small, shy, quiet kid, and he started using the steroids, gained 30 pounds, and became an asshole. They argued that he drank all the time, he became quarrelsome and aggressive, This is where they talked about, they blamed it on his childhood. Um, I guess his mom had an alcohol problem and she was also like suffered from depression and they blamed the fact that his father abandoned him as a reason for his rage. So is that why she didn't have a problem with him, her 16 year old son drinking whiskey at nine in the morning? She said that when she found him like that, she had like grounded him like that same day. So the day Amy was murdered and like forbid him from leaving the house. But later on, she was like, okay, you can go. I think if you're, if your son's already to a point where he's, you know, contemplating murder, grounding him probably isn't going to do anything anyways. No. No. Yeah. The defense said that he suffered from dysthemia, which causes a person to lose interest in normal daily activities feel hopeless, lack productivity, and have low self-esteem and an overall feeling of inadequacy. Now it's called persistent depressive disorder. But they said that the dysthemia combined with his persistent alcohol abuse impaired his ability to appreciate the wrongfulness of his conduct, which his previous girlfriend's testimony crushed that because he had been using steroids for like a year and a half. He dated Amy for almost two years. So he was like 14 when he was physically abusive to his former girlfriend. So like, no, that doesn't work. And unfortunately in this world, there are millions of people who suffer from depression and they don't brutally murder their significant others. No, yeah, he just found that that was his way to feel in control and feel like he had some kind of power. And and there are, there are, You can always see in cases where it's a rage killing. It's like brutal. There's, you know, it's. Yeah, there's. It's, there's specific stabbings and. Exactly. Rage killings don't depict, like they don't indicate that like you're going to come back to the scene. You're going to talk shit about what you did. You're going to dispose of a body. You're going to panic. Like that's, that's what happens in these rage killings. This was 100% premeditated. He bragged about it. He laughed about it. But they had three different psychiatrists testify to his uh, steroid and alcohol abuse is the reasoning for this. But the prosecution had their own expert who testified that while Fuller abused alcohol, he wasn't dependent on it and that he did not suffer from major depression and that Fuller's actions on the day that Amy was murdered did not describe symptoms consistent with what happens when you take steroids. And like I said, like if he was going into like a full on rage and that he, Uh, This doctor found no symptoms of either manic symptoms or depressive symptoms that might might be related to steroid use. Dr. Martin Kelly's testimony, along with a plethora of witness witness accounts of the abuse 
was enough to convince the jury that Fuller was guilty of first-degree murder. Because he was tried as an adult, he was able to be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He tried to appeal his sentence in 1995, but it was denied with the judge saying, the legislator has determined that this grievous penalty is appropriate where a life has been taken in a manner constituting first-degree murder. And it has also determined that even one who was as young as Fuller may be subject to the severest of punishments, to which I say, huzzah. Yeah, that's not even the severest of punishments. He could have had it way worse, you know? Absolutely. Could have been an eye for an eye. Prior to his appeal in 1995, His mom was actually charged with a plot to help him get out of prison in 1993. So he had barely been in prison for a year when his mom was trying to help him escape. Her and her... Like bust out? Yeah, her and her boyfriend were arrested because their plan was for Fuller to cut himself with a razor blade to the point that he would need to go to the hospital. Celeste Fuller and her boyfriend, Edward Golding, were looking to hire... Two gunmen who were who would ambush the guards on the way to the hospital. They had bought a like a small Uzi from a ATF officer unknowingly. Only the prison was tipped off a few weeks before the escape attempt, and the men they hired were actually undercover police officers. Wow, really did it. Good job. All three pled guilty. Jamie was Jamie Fuller was also had nine and a half years added to his sentence to be served concurrently with his current life sentence. And Celeste was sentenced to 14 months in prison. Like, I was really giving you the benefit of the doubt, Celeste. <laughs> yeah. No, you're <laughs> here. You are showing your show. I know when you said that, I was like, I'm about to crush her in a few minutes. <laughs> um, and Amy's mom, like during this, like did an interview at the time and was like, she can literally go see her son every day, and I don't get that option. This is just adding salt to our wounds, which she's, she's not wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, you're crying, like, oh, he shouldn't go. Because I guess he was getting moved to this state prison that's, like, rough. And they were like, hey, he should be in there. He's 16. Well, he should have murdered his girlfriend, and he wouldn't have been in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, another break for Fuller came in 2013 with the ruling from the Supreme Court, which we've all, we all know about, that struck down life sentences without the possibility of parole to juveniles convicted of first-degree murder, largely because their brains aren't fully developed. This meant that he was eligible for parole. He was supposed to have his first parole hearing in March of 2019, but it was rescheduled and no date has been set. There was such outrage that he was even given the possibility of parole, given the heinous nature and like brutal man. Yeah, I'm pissed. Amy's mom, unfortunately, passed away in 2009. And at one of the hearings about the legislator for Fuller to be paroled, her cousin said that she really struggled following Amy's murder. And hearing the details of the crime from the trial every day was too much for her. And she never really recovered. They said that she died a heartbroken woman, to which I say is completely understandable i would be crushed as well but they are actively like writing victims impact statements talking whenever they can to try and i do not see him getting paroled no i I don't see that either i understand again just because i understand doesn't mean i like it yeah it's hard because like i can look at it from a human 
I mean, we said like 27 times, like these are children, these are kids. And we say all the time, like teenagers are kids still. And are they capable of, you know, being well-behaved and, you know, doing adult things? Sure. Does that mean they always will? No. (laughs) And I think about like, my son is almost Amy's age, which is also terrifying to think about. (laughs) That is scary for me too. (laughs) But it's... I can only hope if they are in situations such as this that they feel comfortable enough to like talk to me about it, talk to my husband about it. But I really get pissed off when people use alcohol as a reasoning for like situ. We 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 were just talking about this like off recording about we won't we won't go into like talk about the case, but like we were talking about how it was said that well they were drink like they were drinking like it it. You know, it limits your, no, like it limits your cognitive ability. It limits like your reaction time, your, you know. Yeah. Well, you are, you're willing to make the bad decision, but in like, there is some part of you like that, that this is knowing that this is a bad decision. That doesn't mean you're not going to feel bad about it tomorrow, but you're still making it even though you know it is. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but brutally murdering your girlfriend in a manner such as this. Like, yeah, that's not. Absolute heinous. That's not like, oh, I was drunk. I didn't know what I was doing because you knew what you were doing when you held your hand over her mouth and told her and, that you loved her before you stabbed her. And took her into the woods alone with the intent to stab her. And you were able to recount like, I mean, you were sober enough to decide to have your friends help you try to dispose of her body. We're sober enough to remember the details. Exactly. And he didn't testify. He didn't testify during the trial, but he gave TV interviews where he was like, I am Ew. so Yeah, he was like, I'm so sorry that I did this. I hurt someone that I really loved. And even his defense attorney tried to argue that, that Jamie did not know what he was doing and that he really loved Amy. And I literally read that sentence and I was like, dude, fuck off. That fuck kid off. didn't know what love was like he associated love with possession and and that's not the same thing yeah like get a nintendo in 1992 yeah like come on man and now he's like in his 40s and i hope he's having the worst time every day and that he never gets out because i'll punch him in the face i'll pay money to see that like dunk take but like instead of a instead of like a target you just hit just throw softballs right at the person's face that should be an option you may be on to something. So. I, I think we could develop this. <laughs> we'll get a patent on it. Before we go any further, because uh, I have other big thoughts, do you want to tell us a Zencaster ad? I can, yes. Do you do know it. why you should start a podcast with Zencaster? Because it's easy. And because nobody else has your voice. And because you can. You should. Um, When we started Gruesome, we had no idea what we were doing and Zencaster made it 100% possible for us to do what we are doing now and we love that and we would love that for you as well so if you go to Zencaster Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing you can get 30% off your first three months or you can just try it for free see if it's something you're into and let us know when you do because I want to give you a high five a virtual high five after maybe podcast. maybe you have a long distance BFF who you just bake up a podcast to hang out every week like we did. That's our love story. That's our grown up love story. 
We have other love <laughs> stories. <laughs> we are the prime example of if you set something free and it comes back, that's how you know it's, it's meant to be. <laughs> there is no toxicity. I just let my baby fly and here we are. I just let her little wings spread. She I knew she's back. <laughs> she came back. We both ended up back. You know, we did I, go like opposite sides of the country, though. Like I went did. west and you went south, and then we both ended up back in the Midwest. It's... Well, at a point in time, you were in California and I was in South Carolina. We were literally on different coasts. Opposite sides of the United States. <laughs> and then universe was like nah i gotta bring these bitches back together and then we had babies at the exact same time a love story for the ages mm-hmm. it's kind of like frozen like it was the first love story when like like her sister was her true love we need ones that, like a friend one yeah it's us get on it disney you can buy the dire rights <laughs> that's what i told my <laughs> i told my oldest we were talking about soulmates because things are getting pretty deep and he asked me who my soulmate was, and I told him Megan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's adorable. I can't. Well, I'm going to ask him about it next time I see him. Sex in the city said it best. Maybe our men are just people to grow old with, and our soulmates are really where it's at. I know that's not the right exact quote, but it's something like that. I've never seen Sex in the City. <laughs> I, always, I know. I'm so sorry. You know how uh, we were talking about you get dragged into, like, clips of things? Sex in the City is one that happens to me a lot. I'll just, like, start watching clips of it, and I'm like, I gotta and watch this show. <laughs> you know, I almost pressed stop recording at that very moment. I love Sex in the City. I think I would. I just... I would uh, what did you watch instead? When I was... That was, like, a time period. Like, that was, like, high school. What did you watch instead of Sex in the City? Uh, what was I watching? Adult Swim, probably. <laughs> It's Cartoon Network. <laughs> if anyone ever wanted to know how different we were. <laughs> I was probably watching Cartoon Network and Adult Swim because those were, that's when I was, I like cartoons. I still like cartoons. It's just who I am as a person. <laughs> I saw this TikTok that was like, uh, no two best friends have the same aesthetic. One always looks like a punk yeah. rock. <laughs> a punk rock chick. And the other one always looks like a Land's End commercial. And I was like... <laughs> i was like that's not true and then i was like oh it is kind of is it's not land's end it's um what's your one you have the coat llb baby it's llb all day (laughs) i am an llb stan like (laughs) i am obsessed quality always the return policy is chef's kiss (laughs) They did discontinue their lifetime warranty on their backpacks, which was kind of a bitch. But, man, now I'm, like, just happy. You know, I bet if you go to a store, though, I bet with the quality that they expect, I bet one of their store managers, if you were cool with them and you were, like, nice, you're like, Mm -hmm. hey, I got this when there was a lifetime warranty. I just, I want another. Can you just swap it? They would totally do it. I bet. Well, this is the quality of, this is a, LLB unpaid commercial guys my (laughs) son is in second grade and he is on the third year of his LLB backpack and he like drags it I just wash it up the beginning of the year and it looks brand new he's gonna use it again next year how long do you think that'll last 
until he's like, I don't want this backpack anymore. Well, the best part is he's my kid that doesn't care. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't care. My oldest came to me last year and was like, um, can I please have a North Face backpack? And let me tell you, has he, he, he brings it home every day, every day. It's empty. He has <laughs> brought home one piece of paper all year long. I don't know how he has A's and B's because I haven't seen anything. And my mom's like, what is, what is he doing in school? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Stuff. You know, Stuff. at least he's carrying it, even if it's empty. <laughs> it's not just sitting on the floor. It's, and like, <laughs> He, the differences in like the two boys are crazy because he will hang it up in his bedroom, like to look at it, look at it. My, my old, brand, my brand name backpack. My middle son just throws his backpack, backpack, jacket, sweatshirt, because he always double layers and shoes front door every day. <laughs> just runs away like he didn't do it. <laughs> That's also what I do. Just. I walk in my back door and just everything goes right. Get there. you an L.L. Bean coat and you'll be like, this is my L.L. Bean coat. I'll just wear it all the time. It's the warmest coat. I tried to bring it out this weekend at one of the soccer things and uh, or the baseball game. And my husband was like, it is not cold enough for that coat. And I was like, come on. <laughs> it's like almost cold enough. So it's then I had to bring out my L.L. Bean windbreaker. Do you have one of those like solo like tents that you just sit in and zip and it's clear no you know what i'm talking because about i almost got one and then i went to my first baseball game here and no one had anything like that so i was like i just have to sit out here and suffer <laughs> you didn't want to be you didn't want to be that that mom no that's fair hard enough time in soccer even understanding what's going on i have to sit in this tent so that you guys won't try to tell me what's going on <laughs> Everyone else is like, they know the rules. And I'm like, I don't even know what is going on. You could tell, like, my husband tried to tell me like a million times. I've read about the rules. And I'm just like, this is, this makes no sense. This one kicks the ball in it. And that one kicks the ball in the other net. Whoever gets the most net kicks, they win. That's how it works, right? And our, uh, our goalie is so awesome. And like, he'll sit in the back and I'm listening to him. Because, like, part of the goalie is, like, you kind of, like, are the eyes of the field. So you're, like, telling people. And he's, like. You know more than you think. No, like, he's, like, shooting. He's, like, back there, like, telling, like, hey, do this, do this, do that. And I'm, like, how do you know? Like, how are you seeing this? You're, like, 12 or 13 and you're, like, a freaking genius. And I'm just sitting here, like, I don't even know what position he's in right now. <laughs> you know what I, position the goalie is, though? Because he's never, go he's yeah. always, he's always there. And I just, like, yell at my son, uh. Get the ball. Come on, hustle. Standard, standard yelling. He asked things me, you yell at your kids. He asked me to order him ankle weights and he's 12. And I was like, for oh, he's, I have some. I got him at Goodwill. You want him? No, I ordered him from Amazon for oh, $30. I did get some. I know. I sometimes when I'm at Goodwill, I see things like ankle weights and I'm like yeah I think I could wear those around the house like get yeah. a and then I never do and they're just sitting with the sticker still on them and I'm like why would I do that to myself now I feel bad I never used them look my Peloton is sitting in my bedroom right now with clothes <laughs> hung on it isn't that what Pelotons are for I thought that's what you got them for. yeah it's the most expensive like drying rack Floating that I've ever rack. had <laughs> Although my husband walked in and he told me that it was like the bougie, bougiest shit he's ever seen. 
because I had like my Peloton and I have like these weights in front of it. And then I had like my Lululemon's like air drying over it. He was like, what? Like if I walked in here and I didn't know you, I'd be like, damn, this girl like works out all the time. And it's like, no, I had to hand wash my Lululemon's because I had ketchup stains on them. What is you? Were you eating French fries in the car and you dripped? Is that what happened? No, I was eating a cheeseburger me. and it fell at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> That's also what happens to me. You gotta keep that shit wrapped up at the bottom. I know I made the rookie mistake. <laughs> I had a rookie, <laughs> rookie mistake. I don't know much about soccer, but I can tell you the rules to eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> Most efficient way to eat a cheeseburger in the car. With one hand, yeah. Wrapped under. Sometimes I'll put my knee up if it's a two-hander. <laughs> I need to get I need to get some <laughs> weight need behind it. it. <laughs> I got I just thinking about this guy on the motorcycle. Because I feel like while they have the reason to be like overly stressed out while they're driving those things, he, I I was trying to turn as I was eating a sandwich and like I kind of got in their lane. He was like, get in your fucking yelling at you? Yeah, he was like pointing at me and I didn't do anything because I had one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on the sandwich. Drink your sandwich at him like, sorry. (laughs) Two-hander and I'm trying to do it with one hand. My fingers are slippery because of all the grease. Lay off me, I'm starving. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate when people yell at me or like honk at me. Embarrassed. Or even just look at me in the car. Like if, oh, it's awful. I do not like that feeling. I was driving today and I hit rain out of nowhere, and the sky was like cl- it was cloudy. And the rain, it was raining so hard, I could not see in the middle of the day. It was, I almost pulled over to the side of the road. I was going like 30 down the interstate. It was scary. I've never seen rain like that, like where it was white out. Like, could not. Yeah, I don't like, like that. It was awful. There were several cars pulled over that I passed on the side of the road, but I was just like, huh, where did you come from? And I would have gone. just muscled through it because I'd have been like, I don't know what to do. I did. I just drove slowly and like turned my hazard lights on and then got off at an exit and went like sideways, (laughs) like took the opposite way. And then I had looked in the back and you could see all the storm clouds like in the rear view. It was cool. It did rain like really hard today. We didn't have any sports, which I wasn't complaining about. It was like a beautiful sit at home. Do do nothing-ish. Do as nothing as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, on that note. I want to continue to do nothing. Uh, happy Mother's <laughs> Day to all the moms, pseudo moms, stepmoms, mother figures, sisters, all the things. May the fourth be with you tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It's, I was married on May the 4th. If you care, I did have a mildly Star Wars themed wedding and my wedding rings are Star Wars. Again, yeah. the two best friend <laughs> aesthetics. <laughs> okay, we can go now. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... 
Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.